I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across MLS and Europe. On today's show, we are going to discuss the U.S. MNT's performance in their recently completed Nations League window. Last Friday, they beat Grenada 7-1 on the road, and Monday night, they defeated El Salvador 1-0 at home. That has qualified them for the CONCACAF Nations League Final Four that gets underway on June 15th in Las Vegas. To help me break down this Nations League window, I've invited Kyle Bond to join the show. Kyle is a writer for The Sporting News and has over a decade of experience covering the sport of soccer globally. He also does TV broadcasts for Wake Forest Soccer. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. Excited to, uh, to be here. I, th- I appreciate you uh, reaching out and having me on. So you had the chance to watch these two matches that the U.S. just played. What were your biggest takeaways from this Nations League window? Yeah, I think uh, this is an incredibly successful window, in my in my opinion, for the U.S. team. CONCACAF play, uh, it's funny because, you know, there's jokes about it being concacaf and, you know, you get the stereotypes about bad pitches and surfaces, on, you know, on the road, and then how annoyingly tough some of the teams can be to play, even at home. And then at the end of the day, everybody wants to win by 10 goals. And because they say, oh, it's this team. They're ranked 70th or 80th or 120th. You know, we should be crushing these teams. And it's so much more complicated than that. In fact, that word complicated is exactly what Anthony Hudson called playing in CONCACAF or specifically on the road. So you look at the window. You beat Grenada 7-1. Is Grenada good? No. Are you playing on the road in CONCACAF? Yes. And it is, like Anthony Hudson said, complicated. The pitch was terrible. And that has caused problems in the past, right? You think of the Mud Bowl game at at El Salvador last year. Uh, Some other places. You you saw Mexico play at Suriname, and that was the pitch was terrible. Uh, And Mexico struggled in that game. And and it was dicey. They won 2-0, but it was dicey. So for the U.S. to win 7-1 at Grenada and really get an early couple goals and just race through to the finish line there, huge. Come home, play El Salvador. El Salvador has always been a pain in the butt for the U.S. Always. They've never beaten the U.S. Well, they've beaten once in a friendly, I think, back in like 95 or something. Maybe it's even been before that. But there's the U.S. has its longest winning streak in program history, or unbeaten streak, excuse me, against uh, El Salvador. But it's always been close. They really struggle to play El Salvador. They're well coached. Hugo Perez is an excellent coach. In fact, he's such a good coach that he was asked last night after the game about the U.S. job and if he wanted it because he's got over 70 caps for the U.S. So what did he say? I didn't catch that. He he said it was actually quite funny. It drew some laughs. He said, if I say yes or if I say no, they kill me back home in my country. (laughs) So, So true. So. Uh, he sidestepped the question, but he's kind of right. And he basically said, he said, I'm criticized after every game back in El Salvador. And yet here I am still the head coach because he's a really good head coach and he causes problems for the U S every time they play El Salvador, but they came away with a win. Do people want the U S to beat El Salvador by five goals always? And it's, it's, it's too high of an expectation, frankly, in CONCACAF play. The U.S. dominated the game. Okay, the scoreline does not indicate how that game was. Did they generate a ton of scoring chances? No. And that's something that the U.S. has constantly had an issue with over the last couple of years. But did they control the game throughout? Yes. 
El Salvador had one chance in like the first two minutes of the game. And after that, nothing. They didn't have a single shot on target. Matt Turner made that early save where I guess they didn't call it a shot on target. I don't know why, but he got his fingertips to the ball and that was it. And the U.S. controlled the game from start to finish. They didn't look great in the first half, but they controlled the game. They got they got a, a dominance of the of the ball in the first half. And then after halftime, they got an injection of energy and, and ended up getting the goal. So to me, wildly successful window, especially considering no sporting director, no permanent head coach. Anthony Hudson has done a great job. But, uh, you know, considering all those facts, no Tyler Adams, too, no captain. Really, really successful window where they brought in a number of young players who just kind of slotted right in and and performed really well. Yeah, I I agree. I'd say they exceeded my expectations a bit against Grenada. You know, I I know Grenada's not a super talented team, but I've seen this U.S. team go on the road, especially in Concacaf, and struggle against lesser teams. Yeah. So look look at Mexico this window. They, Mexico they, and Canada, both of them yeah, in their right. away games, one one two nil, and Mexico. 2-0, not a great representation of that game. I mean, they Suriname had chances. If they had just finished in front of goal, that could have been a very different game. And then the draw with Jamaica, Mexico very well could have lost that game at home at Estadio Azteca. CONCACAF play is hard. Look, look at, here's what I, I said this on Twitter last night. Everybody wants to beat everyone 7-1, right? You get 7-1 against Grenada on the road, and you're like, oh my God, we should beat everyone 7-1. The Netherlands beat Gibraltar 3-0 yesterday with 51 shots the bottom line is it is hard to score goals in international football it's hard i don't care who you're playing so uh, you know a win is a win is a win and mexico will be saying the same thing against suriname right we we got out of the uh, a kakagaf road game with a victory i don't care how it went but then you end up with a draw at home to Jamaica. They very well could have been eliminated from from the semis in that game. Memo Ochoa made a bunch of good saves. So you just got to take your wins and your dominant wins as they come. Yeah. And bottom line, we moved on, you know, to the to the uh, Nation League finals, and that's really what matters. Let, let's talk about some of the individual player performances. I want to hear who you thought stood out, both in a positive uh, and negative light. Let's start with a positive first. Who are some players that put in a, a good performance for you? Yeah, I think I think my man of the match, which is funny because he wasn't even nominated by the U.S. you know social media account. Miles Robinson was spectacular in his first game back from his torn Achilles with the U.S. national team. He was excellent. He made a number of huge blocks. You know, you think back the moment of the match for Miles was the the tackle that he made on the the shot that was eventually offside, so it wouldn't have even counted. Had it gone in, but he he and the the striker, I think it was Brian Heal, was like miles offside, and he still recovered in time to make a, a goal saving tackle. He was just electric in the game and really helped the U.S. control the game. And the fact that El Salvador didn't have a single shot on target was largely thanks to him. I would say he was number one. I think Ricardo Pepe was excellent off the bench. Um, Anthony Hudson even said after the game, and and this is funny because Hudson has been nothing but glowingly positive in every possible moment in his media availabilities. But he even said he was like, "Hey, Ricardo could have had a couple more goals this window uh, in both games," and he's right. So he was really, really involved. It's harsh on Daryl DK because he 
did well for what his skill set is, but I don't think the U.S. really played to his strengths too much. So I won't I won't criticize DK much, but Ricardo Pepe showed a lot. Uh, and then I think a guy that doesn't get a lot of credit and that game either was Serginho Dest, I think, played really well. Now, there is an asterisk to whenever Serginho Dest plays a game like that because there's nothing pinning him back, right? As a full, as an attacking fullback, he hardly had any defensive responsibility. So he basically got to play as another winger all game, um, but he played really well. And then the standout that everybody was looking at was Weston McKinney. Played excellent in midfield. And even after the game, Anthony Hudson said that he was dealing with a bit of the flu, um, which is probably why he came off late. But McKinney was was really good in midfield, especially once the U.S. got real control of the match after about 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, I agree with you on all those. Miles Robinson, his ability to close, when it looks like the opponent has an opportunity in the final third, the nanosecond that it takes for him to just eliminate that and close that is so impressive. He did that a number of times yesterday. And uh, yeah, just so good He's to see him back on the field. He's a big guy. Yeah. And has deceptive pace, right? Like right. You, he's not, I, I always think about Peter Crouch famously back on his podcast years ago said that there are two types of center backs, right? You've got a gazelle and you've got a rhino and miles looks like a rhino, but he can play like a gazelle. And that is a huge asset to have as a center back. And I would be shocked if he doesn't make a move to Europe in the next calendar year. I wonder if he would have, if, or at least would have had rumors already if he hadn't had his injury. Another player I think is worth mentioning is, is Pulisic. Maybe wasn't as impactful last night, but against Grenada, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen him that hungry on the pitch. I mean, there was hardly any action at all on the right half of the field because he was so dominant on the left that it seemed like the entire game took place in like that section of the field. And so I just... Yeah, it was great to see him uh, with the assists, you know, and the goal, but just like the hungriness and, and, and like the scrappiness and determination he played with. I was just so happy that he showed up for a game like that with that type of energy. Absolutely. And it's funny because I, I asked him after the game in, in the press conference, I said, what about tonight? Was it that you were just like, I'm going to take this one on my shoulders? And they laughed at me. He and Weston laughed at me. They were like, what are you talking about? I, <laughs> they were laughing a lot in that press conference. <laughs> yeah, they're always hamming it up. But, you know, they said, uh, I expect this every game, which is fine. Go, you know, OK. But they didn't want to jump in with, with us on that. But I agree. I think, you know, he just showed something different. And especially, you know, you, you can make excuses in a game like that on the road, in CONCACAF, bad pitch and against a bunkered opponent. You know, it's just you can make excuses in that game. And he didn't at all and just took it over okay so how about the players that didn't impress you so much or that weren't as impa- impactful as you would have liked to have seen i think first of all i think Polisic struggled in the second game and that i wouldn't say it's concerning at all but it is interesting to see him go from so good to just less impactful i i, I think you put it well he, he didn't play bad against El Salvador, but he wasn't as impactful. He had a, a couple of really bad moments where he had some poor first touches. The one from Turner where he was ready to go on right to goal, you know, from the goalkeeper. That was a, a bummer. And then he had one where I think he got threaded through by somebody in midfield. I can't remember on a vertical ball and it just kind of got away from his feet before he could get a shot off. So he just wasn't as sharp. And I think he'll need consistency game to game if he's going to find a way to get minutes at Chelsea when he goes back. 
So that was a bit, I don't even want to say concerning, but something to keep in, uh, in the back of our minds. I think somebody who had a complicated window is Gio Reyna. Gio was deeper than he's normally playing, both for club and country. Partly because of the absence of Tyler Adams, which Anthony Hudson said in his press conference. He's like, the fact that Tyler wasn't here kind of made us figure things out, especially in, against El Salvador, when the only real natural replacement for Tyler Adams is Luca De La Torre, and he's on the bench. So you've got a midfield three of McKinney, Gio, and Musa, and none of them are really 6-8 hybrids like Adams is or a true six, you know? And so you've got to have somebody in that role. And what they did was they rotated Musa and Reina dropping deeper to start progression. And neither one of them is really good at it. Musa's probably better at that role. He's more of a true eight. Geo is really an eight, 10 hybrid or a 10 or a winger. Really that eight, 10 pivot is the, the deepest that he's going to be at his best. So it is a 6-8 combo with Musa in a pivot. It doesn't really work, and that kind of showed. So he was out of position for the whole, the whole window. And he had some good moments, but I think overall he just, it, was, it was clear that's not what he's good at. And that's okay. It's not his fault. He's playing out of position. But I think that really affected his play a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, on one hand, just to get him back on the field, get through the window, uh, with no type of you know controversies, teammates seem to welcome him. He seemed to more or less enjoy being out there. That that's a win in itself. But yeah, I was getting two starts. Uh, I would have liked to seen him get uh, be more impactful, more productive. But you know, overall, happy to see him back out there. I, I think one more thing on Geo too before we close that. And I said this a couple of times in a few other places. I think at some point we've got to hear from Geo. I want fans to understand because I think people can get really antsy about the whole situation. Family stuff is complicated and it's so complicated. And I don't think people should expect Gio to come out and talk crap about his parents. I mean, I don't, I, I just don't think that's realistic, nor should I think anybody should expect a person his age to come out on a public stage with millions of people listening and rail against your own parents. It's just not, a thing that you should expect from anybody, from a human being, even if we know, we all know his parents messed up big and did not do the right thing on a number of occasions. I, I just don't think we can expect that, but he's an adult. People should give Gio the benefit of the doubt to separate the actions of him from his parents, right? He's not responsible for the actions of his parents. And I think people need to allow him to be separate from that. But along with that comes speaking about it at some point and be and acting like an adult. And I think at some point we need to hear something from him about the situation and just say, Hey, you know, I was an idiot at the world cup. I took ownership of it. Like Greg said, like everybody else said, we it's in the past. I don't agree with what my parents did. It's, you know, we're working through that on the side, whatever he wants to say. But I do think we need to hear from him at some point. If he wants to kind of shed that I'm no longer a child mentality and I'm my own person. He has to speak like one. Yeah. I look forward to hearing from him and you wonder yeah. if maybe the first time he speaks out, if it'll be in Germany when there's maybe a little less pressure. Yes. Um, with the 100%. media you know, I think over there. The US media would be tough. Right. 
Let's talk about Daryl DK a little bit. You mentioned him as we were discussing Ricardo Pepe. Pepe obviously put in two great performances. DK, to me, he looked a little, and it's the same thing when I see Haji Wright out there. These two, both of them just look a little bit slow to me when they play for the USMNT. I know they're not slow because I see the highlights of them banging in goals you know, all, all the time, and they look like they have incredible pace. But there's something about their fluidity when they're with this U.S. men's national team where, I don't know, they just don't move quickly or freely with the team. Pepe's the opposite. Pepe seems to flow along with everybody perfectly. So, I don't know, did you see something similar or what What are just your overall thoughts on, on Daryl? Yeah, Pepe? it's one of those things where you, you eat a food, right? And you go, this is missing something, but I can't quite tell what. And I think there's just an, a missing like spice to it that Pepe, I think to me, I think it's a lack of familiarity. These guys haven't been around the team a ton. You know, they get called in once every three windows. It's just not enough to get in sync with the rest of the team. And I also think that the two of them are very good goal scorers, but I think that there's a limited skill set. I think Pepe has a larger skill set than the two of them. And I think Ferreira does as well. I think a lot of U.S. coaches right now don't love to make tweaks to fit the players. I think they, they expect the players to make tweaks to fit the system. And that's fine because the U.S. has a pretty deep player pool. And I think top international nations with deep player pools can do that. And I think the U.S. has aspirations to be one of those top international teams, and therefore they are building their system and then forcing players to fit it, which in the long term should pay off because now you get a pool of players who are used to a system. But in the short term, it can cause some problems, and I think you're seeing it here, where DK and Haji are just a little bit... I. I DK, not so much. Haji, more so. They're just more poachers. And they don't really fit the system the U.S. wants from a number nine, who is a guy who can run with pace, press, and have good holdup play. DK fits that a little more. And you saw that last night, or, you know, against El Salvador where he was on occasion able to kind of link up with guys in the first half. It faded after halftime, which is why they brought Pepe on. Haji, he has the pace. I'm not sure he has the familiarity, and I'm not sure he... It's it's a tough one, but I think he just needs a little more time to fit in, and there's just not a cohesion there. I think Ricardo has been around the team more. I think Ferreira has been around the team more. And and hopefully a lot of these guys can get a little more time. Anthony Hudson's made it pretty clear that he is going to rotate the squad through the summer as long as he's in place. And I think you'll see a lot of these guys. But there just needs to be a little more time given, I guess, for some of them. Yeah. One more player I want to make sure we we discuss is Zendejas. What were your thoughts on Zendejas' performance throughout this two-match window? I liked it a lot. I think there needs to be an understanding that Zendejas has played a lot of minutes, 
and at the club level, and he's an important player for his club. And he's a little bit of a late bloomer on the international stage as far as the senior level. And so maybe getting used to that again. And so you, you saw that against El Salvador. He's another one that faded after halftime. He looked really good in the first half. One of the few U.S. players that really was kind of working in the attack in the first half. And then he kind of lost it after halftime. But he was really good against Grenada coming off the bench as well. And I liked it. Um, I struggle to see long-term where Zendayas fits in the team only because winger is a position of real depth for this team. And so is midfield at the midfield profile that he is. He could kind of play both. He can do that geo like 8-10 hybrid or he could play out wide. And I just don't see how he fits in as a starter. But as a depth piece, huge for this team. And that's important because you saw in this window, you lose two guys like Adams and, and Weya, and now all of a sudden you've kind of got some question marks at, at certain places. So I think Zendejas is a guy who would be on the fringe of a World Cup squad if everyone is healthy and available. But I think he would still end up making it as one of the last cuts. And having guys like that is important. And so I think he probably would have been a similar ca- type of fit at Mexico. So I don't think he, ma- I'm not trying to sit here saying he made the wrong decision or anything. And I think the U S is happy to have a guy like Zendayas. I think when everyone is fit in a perfect scenario, I'm not sure he gets a ton of minutes, but he is going to be very important for the team over the next year or two, at least. And we'll get a good amount of playing time. And I like what I've seen from him. I think he needs to figure out how to, a way to get full match fitness, you know, good 90 minutes with this team. Um, but for what, he brought. I, I liked it a lot. He's he's got good. He's he's more than just pace. He's got good ability to play fluidly with the attack. You could see him play a number of vertical balls. He's got a good vertical ball, a, a good line breaking pass. It might have been him who delivered that ball to Pulisic that he kind of flubbed. And Zendayas cuts inside well. He's got a good shot. Uh, I think he's a, a useful player for this team, and I think he'll play important minutes. He's really fun to watch. He, yes. He's kind of a wild man, you know, and there's like good and bad that comes with that. You know, he creates chaos when he's out there. He's electric when he's out there. But then on the other hand, I would see him turn the ball over at times. Sometimes he'd turn the ball over and then steal it right back. I mean, he's just a fun player to have out there. I can see him. I could see him being very valuable coming off the bench late in a game when you need to create something, when you need a goal. Because yep. he just he's a spark when he gets on yep. the field, and he's he's so fun to watch. Okay, let's talk about the coach Anthony Hudson. What'd you think about his performance this window? I liked it, man. I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I think he's got a real ear to the ground for this player pool and the the program in general, and. I, <laughs> He is playing the situation perfectly, at least in front of the media. He's just, he's been nothing but glowingly positive about every single player he's asked about, which can get a little repetitive. And he even acknowledged, like, hey, I realize I'm kind of saying the same thing about every player, but there's a real, there's still a real honesty to what he says. He's pumping guys up. Uh, he's, there's a sincerity to it. Yes. I think, you there know? really is. You know, you ask him about, three players in a row who, who might be struggling at their club level and all three times 
he says like, you know, Hey, I know they're struggling at the club level, but he's really important to us. And then by the third one, he's like, okay, I, I realize it sounds like a broken record here, but each time he personalizes it. And he says like, for example, I asked him about Sergio Des last night at, after he had already talked about a, a bunch of guys who were struggling at the club level. And he's like, Sergio just keeps going. He just, if he, if he messes up, he just goes again. And, and it's that personal touch that I, I really like about him. And I think tactically on the field, he's done real well too. We have to remember in January camp, obviously the, the selection was limited, but they didn't play that well on the field. And they were playing against other teams that had limited selection as well at home. And, and I think he was a little bit, there was a lot going on then. And it was, you know, his first time as, as interim head coach, just a lot going on. They looked a lot better this window. And I think he's, I mean, he's been a head coach before at the international level, but I think he just kind of got in the swing of things. He had that time between international breaks to, to really get settled. I wonder if he's a candidate or not. I think that that program knowledge is invaluable, but I think the U.S. would be in an awkward situation hiring him only because he's really lacking that top-level experience. You look at all the candidates right now for head coach, and, and you, you go, all of them have flaws, right? You're not picking from the best of the bunch, which is fine. You have to figure out which flaws are you okay accepting and which ones are deal breakers. And I think for Anthony, his flaws to me are not deal breakers. I think his, the strengths that he brings are great. I don't know if he's actually a candidate or not, but if they were to go that route, I think he's got a lot of strengths. His man management seems great. And I think he's performed well, both in front of the microphone and on the field. He's shown at least some significant improvement. I loved against El Salvador, how they really made changes after halftime without actually making changes, right? Like they, they didn't do much tangibly except play better and play with more energy. And that's hard to do as a coach. You know, everybody likes a coach that like makes tweaks at halftime and, and changes stuff and, and looks better, but they didn't change that much. It probably made a couple of tweaks, but tangibly there weren't that many actually tactical changes and they played a lot better. So that's a, that's a positive sign. Yeah, he seems comfortable in the role. You know, I think anytime you're an interim head coach, there's always going to be the possibility of that tag getting removed, you know, because you have the opportunity to perform and show people what you can do. And the longer he's in that role, the longer he has an opportunity to do that. I still think it's probably pretty low probability at this point, but when you're the person in the role, there's always a chance that we see it in not just in soccer, but in all, in all sports. It'll be interesting to see you know, how this plays out into the, the future windows. So if you had to, looking at this overall CONCACAF Nations League window, if you had to give the U.S. men's national team a grade, A, B, C, D, or F, what grade would you give them? I'd say B+. Plus. I'd say B plus to an A-. minus. I think I probably shade more towards that B+. Plus. I think they could have played better in the first half against El Salvador. And I think there were a couple of guys who maybe didn't have the best window. But overall, I think it was a positive. I think you can reach into that A minus territory if you're being a little, you know, a little forgiving. I think a B would be a little harsh. So I think B plus is probably a, a good place to put it and a, a solid B plus. Yeah, I'm going to put them in that B to B plus range. You know, I think with Grenada, they exceeded my expectations. 
Uh, I expected them to win. I thought it would be tougher than it was being on the road with El Salvador. Uh, again, I thought they would win. I thought being at home, they'd get a few more goals. I thought maybe they'd get their first goal and then pile on a few after that, but I'm still pretty happy with the win. So overall, maybe they exceeded my expectations a little bit at Grenada. Maybe they underwhelmed me a little bit against El Salvador, but for the window, they got the job done and uh, they were fun to watch. I think it'll be really interesting if they draw Mexico for this semifinal, because it's likely, unless Canada draw Honduras, it's likely. And if they get Mexico, that's going to be a heck of a game because you're going to get the best from both teams. It's going to be a you know summer international break. You're going to get good players from both sides. It's I don't think it conflicts with the U20 World Cup. I don't know how they're going to play that, but Mexico's down right now, and it's in Vegas. It's going to be a slog fest as it usually is between those two teams. But I think you're going to learn a lot about both sides in that game, and it could be real fun. Yeah, those two two matches tonight are gonna are gonna determine who are the other two teams in, in the finals. It will be interesting to see uh, who the U.S. plays first. I hope, no matter how it plays out, what order it is, I would love to see them play both Canada and Mexico, just because I think those would be great tests for them. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. Kyle, thanks again for joining the show. Before I let you go. For people who are interested in learning more about you, maybe seeing some more of your work, where can they go? I I really appreciate that. So it all starts on my Twitter handle. I I put most of my stuff there. It's at the underscore bonfire with two N's, B-O-N-N fire. And then uh, just uh, come by Sporting News Soccer page. Uh, We have a a ton going on. Myself and and my editor, Simon Borg, we, we pretty much are it for the U.S. soccer team. And we hammer as much as we can. And then we have an awesome team in, uh, in the UK that, uh, that, you know, does a great job covering premier league and champions league. We're getting into the betting space. So uh, anybody who's interested in, um, some soccer betting, uh, I put out a, a number of betting content pieces over the, over the weeks covering European soccer and, and, uh, international soccer. And then we have a great Spanish language team for those uh, who are interested they're based down in Argentina, and they do an awesome job covering Liga MX, uh, you know, Argentina and, and South American soccer and, and all that. So uh, we run the gamut. Come by at Sporting News Soccer and, uh, and join the fun. Thanks again, Kyle. It's a real pleasure having you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza, and I'll be back next week with a new episode.